audio check. On this episode, I interview Dr. Kyle McCormick, owner of Blueberry Pharmacy, a pharmacy with a very interesting business model. They do not accept any insurance. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of RX Radio. I'm your host, Richard Waith, and I'm really excited about today's episode. We have the owner of Blueberry Pharmacy on the call, Dr. Kyle McCormick. Welcome to the show. Hi, how are you doing, Richard? I'm doing Great well. Great to be here. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Um, I know you're a, a busy guy, uh, especially being the owner of a pharmacy. I mean, the amount of uh, firefighting that you probably have to do from a day to day with managing that. I mean, um, I, I appreciate the time. So thank you. Certainly. Thanks for having me on. You have a very interesting business model, which uh, which is really what I want the heart of the episode to be kind of around and your thoughts on pharmacy and, and a couple other things. But before we dive into that, can you first just tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Kyle McCormick. I graduated in 2014, uh, but my pharmacy roots, I guess, go back a little bit further. Uh, I first started in pharmacy around 2008, so right when I rose. Um, kind of going into college, uh, I was making sure pharmacy was right for me and uh, started an internship at a local independent pharmacy in Somerset, PA, where I grew up. And I uh, just really enjoyed that. It was a, a friend of mine, her mother owned a pharmacy. So I got to, to experience and, and see how she helped patients on a daily basis and really knew the community. That, that part of it was what drew me the most to independent pharmacy. Uh, was getting to know the the patients in the community, uh, getting getting to know them beyond just their health too, uh, getting to know their family and and just being there, um, have conversations with them. So that drew me in, and uh, since then I've been probably I think it's about four four independent pharmacies worked at throughout my short career so far. Uh, the most time I spent was upon graduation. I did a residency, a community residency with Gaddy Pharmacy in Indiana, PA. And there's where I really developed my interest in ownership and got the experience, got to see the the day-to-day of management and um, inventory management, dealing with uh, customers, but also dealing with employees and and just got more of the business insight from my mentor and boss there, uh, Stephanie Smith-Cooney. So that's where I really developed the interest to go out and open up my own pharmacy and during that time, I also kind of uh, got got my brain thinking about like what would a pharmacy look like that, that I'd want to open. So I didn't want to do a traditional uh, pharmacy. Well, initially I did. I won't lie. Uh, back whenever I first started at Gaddy, I was like, or I guess even before that, because uh, I started to see the industry changing um, around that time. But uh, even going back to my family pharmacy days in Somerset, I had an interest in and getting into business in some sense, but um, started to develop that interest in ownership. Um, so yeah, so that's kind of my background in pharmacy. And currently, it's, uh, we're, we're located in Pittsburgh, PA, uh, just north of Pittsburgh, and also live in Pittsburgh. So it makes for a shorter commute than to Indiana, PA, every day, which is nice too. Makes sense. So this is definitely not your first rodeo in terms of uh, getting a pharmacy up and running, which is which is cool that you're. Uh, you, you've kind of had a, a solid foundation behind that. Uh, the residency, though, is interesting. I, 
I remember I always thought it was kind of, you know, for lack of better terms, pointless to do a community residency uh, for someone that wanted to go into community. It's like, why don't you just go and do it? You know, so Mm -hmm. um, but obviously these are becoming um, a lot more valuable and a lot more popular. Uh, can you maybe give like a couple words on your thoughts on, you know, if, if it, it was something that was extremely valuable, if you highly recommend it, maybe the future of what community residencies might look like? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, yeah, I think that uh, the decision is definitely got to be well thought out and uh, it's got to be a good fit. That's really what made my residency the, the, the best for me was that um, I was with the University of Pittsburgh where I had done my education. So I knew the program really well. I knew the people involved. I knew it would be a good experience. Uh, but then I also got to know Gaddy Pharmacy well before um, kind of applying for and getting the residency. Uh, and so I knew that I'd have that exposure to to business management, to um, patient care experiences. I also, it was kind of unique in that it was kind of a split community residency. I was also helping with a pharmacy technology startup. It was based out of the Indiana area as well. So um, kind of split in that sense too. So I love technology. So I got to uh, kind of foster both of those interests at the same time, which was kind of cool, but also uh, hectic, I would say. So uh, that that was fun. Uh, Great learning experience. So, um, so yeah, community residencies, I I mean, it's definitely a decision that's got to be well thought out. You uh, would have to know, um, that it's going to be a good fit um, and that they're going to take away and also give back, I guess, um, but also take away uh, the, the right things coming out of the residency in order for it to, you know, I hate to say be worth it, but yeah. <laughs> uh, for lack of a better term, be worth it. Gotcha. That makes sense. Cool. All right. Because so, a lot of like yeah. a lot of those experiences can be, I mean, there's definitely things that are unique to residency. Um, but if you have the, 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 the grit and the, uh, determination, uh, a lot of those experiences can be reproduced outside, but the residency just packs it into one year. So unless you have a ton of self-determination and, and will, um, the residency is kind of the best route for, for getting all that packed into one year. That makes sense. Cool. All right. Well now let's jump into the, to your pharmacy and the business model. Give us, give us some insight there, uh, as to, uh, what the business model is like and how it's different from a traditional uh, independent. Yeah. Uh, so Blueberry Pharmacy is, um, as far as I know, Pennsylvania's first and only uh, insurance-free pharmacy. Uh, and there's definitely a trend nationwide to not accepting insurance at pharmacies, but I think we might be the first in PA. And what an insurance-free pharmacy is, it's just we don't accept insurance. We have no capability of billing insurance, no capability of billing coupon cards, anything that requires a bin or a switch or anything like that. And the benefit of that is that we can actually uh, offer patients prices that are often cheaper than a copay, even if they have insurance or definitely if a patient doesn't have insurance, um, we're a great resource for them. So that we operate with cost, cost plus um, pricing, where a patient pays what we pay plus a dispensing fee. And we also have a membership, um, not required, but patients can be members of the pharmacy. And that does uh, involve us a monthly fee, uh, but it, it also gets them a lower cost plus. So they just pay a smaller defense dispensing fee, uh, but they also and they also get um, discounts on over-the-counter medications and in the gifts that we have in the pharmacy. So it can really pay, the the membership can really pay for itself pretty quickly uh, between those two things. Um, so in, in a nutshell, that kind of 
uh, explains the whole the, yeah. the whole model. Um, but there's definitely a lot of intricacies in there and, and reasons why um, this model hopefully is going to be more successful too. Now, is the 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 membership is really interesting. Is there other clinical services that you offer with the member, like to members only, or um, is that something that you've thought about or, or might do in the future? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's definitely a future plan. Uh, currently, I can't say that uh, we we necessarily do that. Um, we like to, I like to think that we provide a decent bit of um, education and uh, kind of oversight of a patient's regimen. To, to all patients, um, definitely providing a higher level of reviews of, of medication profiles and medication management and possibly even immunizations, things like that in the future would be part of the membership. Um, but currently, that's, that's not built in um, just till we get up and running and, and deciding what patients need, what services they really, uh, in this market, what services they, they feel the need for. And what would be a good fit for the pharmacy, um, but definitely in the, the pipeline, that's that's the goal. So, what's been some of like the bigger challenges uh, that you've had to come across in terms of uh, getting this going and and making it, you know, uh, something that is obviously the plan is to make it sustainable in um, long term. Yeah, uh, the, probably the biggest challenge. Uh, surprisingly, we opened March twentieth, which is uh, the Friday before. Pennsylvania shut down. So very fortunate that we were able to open there, stay so. open, <laughs> <laughs> stay open, you know, uh, very fortunate. Um, but it, surprisingly the coronavirus hasn't actually been a big challenge, which I thought, you know, as we were opening that Friday, I was like, man, this is going to be a rough, uh, time, but, uh, and, and it definitely has been a challenge, but I think the bigger challenge has actually been marketing, which part of that is coronavirus related business, uh, businesses not being open, doctor's office is not being open to just being able to go in and say, you know, here's, here's, here I am, here's what the pharmacy is all about. And, um, and even getting printed materials has been interesting. Um, the, the printer, the local printer that we were going to, that we use and we're going to continue using for our marketing supplies, they shut down as well. So then it was like, well, wow. uh, do we, do we print those outside? And so, the, quick fixes, but, um, so the marketing piece has definitely been the biggest challenge in that, um, my experience in the past with, with pharmacy marketing, prescriber marketing has been the most successful, um, getting to know the prescribers in the area, uh, kind of sharing with how the pharmacy has been different and, and is different. Um, but what I've realized is, and that definitely has helped. Um, but I also realized, uh, after the fact that sometimes uh, medication cost doesn't actually come up uh, as much as I expected in, in prescriber visits. Uh, it definitely comes up, but a lot of times it's strictly with brands or or um, patients not actually knowing how much they pay in total. Um, so, uh, and so I think that there's still value in prescriber marketing for sure, and that's we're heavily targeting that. But uh, I think there is also a decent bit of direct to consumer marketing, and there might be some. Um, success in that so that's a whole another um challenge that i'm not the best uh i have no experience in you know direct consumer marketing so um it's like trying to figure out what's the best 
route is it radio is it uh new, no well, probably not newspaper yeah is it direct mailers is it so you know i actually have, can't have community events but kind of that kind of thing i actually have a um i wrote an article uh i think it was sometime last year about uh basically detailing out like a whole independent pharmacy's marketing strategy and what it should look like um which nice. I'm, I'm not sure if I, i'll definitely have to give that to you but yeah um, yeah that'd be I'll, awesome. I'll send you the link but it's essentially just in a nutshell it's it's having the paradigm shift of realizing that your pharmacy should now be uh a, like a media company first in the sense mm. of uh, you should be like the local newspaper you should be like mm. you know the the local uh community uh news source for your town and what that does is it allows you to create a lot of relevant content that is not necessarily um, having to tie back to what your services are or what sale you have, but more so saying like highlighting a, uh, which obviously the, it, it, it's a lot more challenging with, uh, with the coronavirus, but in general, it's highlighting something that happened in your neighborhood, like, like the, uh, a certain high school that won some award or mm. a certain community college that is having some events or doing something. And being able to post these things on on social media, um, while also creating like paid advertisements, to be able to because mm -hmm. um, re the reach on social media it's and even in like in, in people over fifty it's 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 growing yeah. so rapidly it's crazy and, and the opportunity right. there and the, the greatest thing I think about it not necessarily the which the reach is amazing, but what's cool is the cost it's so low yeah. compared right. to what you would pay for like a radio advertisement let's say um, so. <laughs> That was a wake up call whenever I uh, saw the quote from the radio. I was like, what? $150 for 30 seconds? Yeah. yeah <laughs> what? I mean, That's ridiculous. Yeah, it's rough. Uh, so months, yeah. We <laughs> I haven't done radio for sure. <laughs> yeah, but um, I'll send you that link and then we can definitely, you know, yeah. if, if there's any other things that can help out with marketing, I'd be happy to. Um, it's, it's my my wheelhouse, really. But um, I will, um, I'll, definitely get, I'll definitely get you that. All right, cool. Okay. So what else, what is the... Um, what successes, I guess, have you had? Like, what what have you seen that's been going really well? So, I think uh, the biggest um, takeaway, uh, success wise, has been kind of the sharing of patient stories. Uh, has been like the number one, uh, and that also leads to word of mouth um, has been successful. So, um, sharing those patient stories whenever we save a patient who's normally paying ninety dollars through their insurance a month, and now they're only paying twenty nine dollars uh, a month um, those kind of patient stories uh, kind of spread uh, which is awesome so mm -hmm. I think that um, it, it also inspires or motivates other people to reach out well maybe I will say maybe it's worth a call um, so I think that those patient stories have really been the most helpful and you always hear you know patient stories uh, even from a clinical perspective or um, like that's that's what we need to capture as pharmacists um, because it's not, it, it is partially data, but it's also the stories that go along with it. And so um, that's kind of been resonating here is, you know, I can track the amount of savings all day, but uh, until it's actually tied to a specific patient or somebody that somebody else knows, uh, it doesn't really hit home for some people. So then um, the other big thing related to that too is, you know, the, the value of word, of word of mouth is, you know, you always hear in business that that's, huge and uh that's definitely been verified uh here as well i think uh you know, just uh so many people that come in and say you know i heard i heard a bunch about it you or even uh you know the local dollar general has been referring patients here uh for 
they're out of gloves and I've been able to get a steady supply of gloves. in. so, um, that, that word of mouth, those referrals have been really helpful right. in getting off the ground. That's cool. I think social media is also really helpful for word of mouth. I mean, it's just, it's like a tangible word of mouth almost, you know, which is, mm-hmm. which is really, um, I think valuable for, for a marketing tool. So now what about things that are maybe caught you off guard or the most surprising, um, in terms of getting this up and running, uh, even maybe if it's not necessarily the business model, but just a pharmacy. In mm-hmm. general, um, what, what kind of insight can you give us there? Yeah. So I'd say early on in terms of, um, kind of surprise or, or maybe other categorized under the challenge question earlier, uh, would be just some of the things that you don't expect to be issues, uh, that then become kind of the biggest holdups, uh, in starting a pharmacy. So building permit was, was the one for me. I, these happen all the time, I assume, and um, can't imagine that they would take that long. My building permit took uh, over two months to get passed, and it was a lot of locality issues. Or um, they were going through a change in inspectors, and um, but in my time frame for opening, I hadn't allowed for a two-month holdup, and it delayed construction, it delayed the the business loan, all those things. So. I'd say that was the biggest uh, surprise was uh, like just uh, some things, you know, that you think are controllable or well outside of your control mm-hmm. to some extent. And definitely, you know, did some things to help speed that up uh, towards the end there. Like this is just going on for too long. So, um, but yeah, so those are some of the surprises in terms of now that we've been up and going. I'd say one of the biggest surprises is actually, you know, truly how many people can save. Uh, which I already knew. I mean, I've been practicing for a while. I see patient copays. I know how much drugs cost. Uh, but the biggest piece that I was somewhat surprised was the amount of people that qualify for manufacturer assistance programs, uh, which is huge because um, even opening the pharmacy, I was like, well, you know, de- going to deal primarily in generics and really can't help patients with brand name medications. But as I kind of evaluate patients and their kind of um, economic situations, I realize, you know, some of these programs are up to 400. I even saw one program that was 600% of federal poverty level, which doing the math on the FPL calculator, it's actually a decent amount of money, which understandably some of these drugs are super expensive. So Mm -hmm. uh, I've been able to set patients up with um, manufacturer assistance programs and now they're getting their medications for free instead of having $47 copay, $100 copay. Um, So that's been kind of eye opening for me and, Definitely, uh, I've been trying to, to get word out that you know, patients can say that might feel like they can't. Um, so that's been a big surprise for me. Interesting. Very interesting about the uh, manufacturer assistance um, program. That's great. It's great that you're able to kind of identify those. And I, I think m- many people probably have that same sort of um, kind of thought process of, you know, likely not going to be able to help most of, pe- most of my patients. So mm-hmm. It's good to know. Yeah, and I think the other uh, learning from that was just how, um, you know, we don't, I, I, in school, we learned about manufacturer assistance programs, but maybe only kind of looked at one application. And then whenever I was at an underserved clinic, I kind of got a little bit of more exposure to them, but it's not necessarily part of the um, routine practice of a community pharmacist to be looking for those, which I think, honestly, they're probably, they're severely underutilized, the number of people that can qualify and then just the biggest thing is even if, you know, a small percentage of people qualify, it's big savings. It's uh, 
it's on the brands that patients are paying a ton of money for. So uh, it's keeping patients out of the donut hole. It's um, I was talking to a doctor's office um, and, and they're under a value-based contract where um, they have some of the, the actual costs of a patient's drugs are actually attributed towards their practice and they get paid based on a patient's drug spend. So that's patients that qualify, even if a small percentage, those that's dollars that aren't being attributed to that patient's uh, insurance. And then likewise to that, to that doctor's office. So uh, there's a lot of um, second order effects to, to getting patients signed up for, for those programs mm-hmm. um, outside of just saving the patient money. Gotcha. All right. Here's something completely random. I just thought about how, yeah. what happens when patients come into the pharmacy thinking that you're a normal pharmacy uh, and you know, they're like, all right, here's my insurance card, you know, and uh, how, yeah. how does those interactions go down and you know, is it happening more frequent than you thought or yeah. wished or give us some insight there? Yeah, I'd say it's a little less common now where it's getting out, but uh, early on those were definitely awkward conversations and, and uh, um, you know, the, the assumption is that you're a pharmacy, it says pharmacy outside. So you take insurance. That's how we operate. And, uh, likewise patients can't wrap their heads, not can't, but don't readily wrap their heads around the, the fact that they don't have to use insurance. Um, you have insurance, so you pay a lot for it. You just assume you're getting the best deal for your insurance or you think you have to use it, uh, or your employer will will be mad at you or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's definitely awkward. Uh, it was awkward. It's becoming a little less awkward, the conversation, as I think of you know the wording and the best route. So typically how I approach those conversations is, um, you know, I don't take insurance, but that doesn't mean I can't help you. Um, you can actually possibly save by not using your insurance. So we just go through their medication list and, and kind of their current costs on the medication. And, um, you know, after the conversation happens, if you know, a patient says, well, I pay zero dollars. And I say, well, you know, if you're happy with your current pharmacy, then I would just stay there. Uh, but if you're not happy, there's a lot of other pharmacies that you know offer advanced um, services, whether it's delivery or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're not currently getting at your pharmacy. So, you know, if you're looking for a referral, I can have you referrals for you too. So, um, it's all, yeah, it's, it's it, it's an interesting conversation to have, and it's definitely an education piece. Yeah, um, because it's new; it's it's not not really common practice. Well, you you brought back some memories uh, from my working community days, where, <laughs> and I, it's funny because it's kind of shocking when you first hear about it, patients literally being worried that you know that their job security <laughs> is, is in jeopardy because they're not using their insurance that they <laughs> that they paid for. Yeah. Um, it, that's really, yeah. you know, the education part there, even in a traditional pharmacy, it's like, we're trying to convince someone to say that, like, you know, we're not going to use insurance because of, you know, it's actually cheaper or whatever the case may be. Cause I worked, so also I worked at, um, Publix where we would offer, um, free medications or, um, and then sometimes mm-hmm. the medications were just a lot, um, a lot more affordable than going through mm-hmm. the, uh, the insurance and just hearing, you know, the fear, uh, because mm-hmm. of how tied the insurance might be to their job. It's just, it's, it's shocking sometimes. It is, and it's kind of maybe yeah, it's just a, a weird mentality to have. But I guess you know, uh, uh, having dealt with insurance for so many years, <laughs> kind of just we 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 kind of know how it works, and so I, I guess it's unknown of you know what happens if I don't use it. Um, 
yeah. with the area. But yeah, it's definitely a common fear, which is really strange to me, but uh, pretty pretty common. Yeah, and I, have to, I feel bad for them a lot of times because it's like they're they're genuinely scared. And then even when you, you kind of do your best to convince them, like it's okay, they still leave with like that small percentage of doubt. You know, like mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's rough. Here's a story. Them. Here's a here's a great story for you. Um, I uh, saved the patient. She was paying how much was it? Fifty dollars a month, and here it was like twenty five, so half the price. Which over you know compounded over a whole year is a ton of a ton of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess she had told her friend because I had price quoted over the phone. So she was coming, she came into the pharmacy and said, okay, I'm here. Let's, let's go ahead and uh, I'm ready to sign up. Uh, and I said, okay. And so, um, she's like, well, before you get going, you're, you're, you're a real pharmacy, right? And I said, <laughs> yeah. She's like, well, I was, you know, I was talking to my friends and they're just like, you need to, it's too good to be true. You, you should ask for credentials. I was like, oh, they're hanging right there. Like, <laughs> you know, it's like, I'm a real pharmacist. You can look, I'm a real pharmacist. I get my drugs from the same place that everybody gets their drugs from. So yeah. I think there's also that fear of like, you know, and, and you hear it with other, if you're not paying a, a good, it's the, the, the value. And, um, you know, if I'm paying more for something, it must be worth more. Yeah. It and so real, I think that legit, there's, yeah. Yeah. So like I've heard people say, you know, you you must get your drugs from Canada or, you know, uh, like that, that almost that implication that, Mm -hmm. uh, my drugs aren't real or, you know, something weird's going on here. Yeah. Whereas I probably actually pay more for my drugs than a, than a chain because I buy at a lower volume. So like, and and I try to explain that to patients is like, you you know, the pharmacy you are currently going to, they're probably actually making even more than you think because <laughs> they're actually buying it at a lower rate than I'm buying it. Cause yeah. they're buying in volume. They have their own wholesalers. Um, so it's just, yeah. Uh, some of those misperceptions, misconceptions and, um, fears that, uh, overcoming has definitely been, uh, a lot of conversations. Yeah. No, the challenges there sound, sound like, a, a fun task to take on. <laughs> to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what advice do you have for someone that is um, wanting to open their own pharmacy and whether they're in school um, and they're a student thinking about it or, you know, they've been working in a particular field or community for years mm-hmm. now and they're like, you know what, I'm done with this. I want to open my own. What, what sort of advice do you have for them? Uh, yeah, um, that's, a, that's a really good question. Uh, I think that the biggest thing that helped me uh, and the other awkward thing about this question is, you know, I've only been in business for three months, not profitable yet. So mm-hmm. no, I'm probably not the best person to be asking for advice, but, uh, I think the biggest, um, thing that has helped me has been, uh, being day to day in the independent pharmacy space for five plus years. Um, especially like I mentioned at Gaddy, I was, uh, heavily involved with developing, you know, the different clinical efforts there, the new clinical efforts there, looking at, you know, script counts, looking at um, gross margin, uh, profit margin, things like that, understanding the industry um, on the ground floor. So I think that the biggest thing that somebody could do would be to um, make sure they spend enough time in the setting that they they think they want to open the business in. Um, But I think the other big thing is uh, also keeping an eye towards um, not only industry 
uh, trends, but also um, trends outside of the, you know, the pharmacy industry. Um, so uh, like things that are affecting retail pharmacy um, are often trends that affect other retail establishments as well. Obviously we have the awkward PBM in the middle mm-hmm. um, that is hard to control, uh, but a lot of the same retail effects are, you know, affect the, the, the retail pharmacy industry. So paying attention to retail space, uh, paying attention to uh, technology because technology is big, playing a bigger role in, in every industry. So keeping an eye on how technology is impacting um, pharmacy and also community pharmacy is huge as well. So those are probably the bit, some of the biggest things I think might have helped me in developing my vision for blueberry pharmacy. That makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that insight. I hope, uh, I think that definitely will bring some value um, to people that are thinking about it. All right. Super important question is probably the most important question of this entire conversation. And it's also <laughs> tied to a shameless plug of mine. Yeah. Sure. Would you recommend farm independent pharmacies to subscribe to VUCA health meds on Q being that you, your pharmacy is a customer? Yeah, no, I, I uh, really like the, the meds on Q platform and um, with the recent integration with pioneer, which is the software we use, it becomes super easy. So, um, and uh, I often, uh, on a on daily basis, tell patients, you know, hey, there's a QR code on your receipt there. Just scan that uh, because any more patients are like, give me paper. I'm just going to throw it away. So mm-hmm. we actually don't we don't print things out by default. And so we ask patients that pick up. Now, do you, do you want some printed education? And uh, if they say no, we say, well, you're still going to get education. If you <laughs> if you want to access it, here's mm-hmm. here's a QR code to simply you know, go on and that's actually the thing that they're, you know, surprised by is it's you know, actually specific to the medications that, that they are prescribed. It's not just a link to a website that where you search for the drug name or whatnot. It's specific videos. And I think also the nice thing is that it's video content and not just something that you have to, and it's concise too. It's not um, some of this 10 point fonts, uh, one, one page plus, yeah. um, <laughs> education that honestly most that's the biggest frustration with patient education is um it's not at all patient friendly uh (laughs) from the very beginning it's too too small to even read so um so yeah i I definitely enjoy having the meds on cue handy now for for patients well, I appreciate that. I did not pay him or give him any sort of kickback. To say that. <laughs> Everyone just disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, no, no payment. I appreciate it, Kyle. I really do appreciate that. All right. Um, one of the so I have two more questions, and one is a little bit more open. Where, uh, I just want to maybe get your thoughts on what you think the future of like clinical services might look like, um, or just if you want to just maybe give some insight as to how you think the future and outlook of pharmacy might be, um, just in general. So yeah, so I I think. Some of the bigger trends I see are, especially you know, being involved in the independent pharmacy community space, um, there's definitely a trend away from insurance. Uh, so we've already made the jump. There's a lot of other pharmacies making the jump nationwide. Uh, it's just almost impossible to operate um, under the insurance. It's not impossible. There's definitely some stores that you know, are succeeding and doing very well with it. But if you look at the the trends over the past 10 plus years, 
I don't know if there's been a single year of reimbursement increase. Um, it's all been reimbursement decreases. So that's not sustainable. Um, and then the other thing is the price of drugs. So, you know, I'm able to keep my inventory at just over $6,000, whereas I feel like most pharmacies I've been, it's been a the inventory is $150,000 plus. Um, if I have to order an expensive drug, I can get payment from the patient, you know, even possibly the day before I order it patient could already pay me for that medication. Whereas in the traditional space, you know, with, with insurance involved, I had to pay for that 700, $800 insulin. Uh, maybe my, my wholesaler gives me two weeks terms to, to pay that off, but then I don't get payment on that from the insurance company until uh, oh, a month or more later after, after buying it, possibly even more. Cause likely I have some on hand, maybe, it's already been on hand for a week, so I actually already paid for it a week ahead of time. And then I don't get paid for from the insurance for like 40 days or so. Um, plus, a lot of times those reimbursements are below the actual cost that I paid for that good. So it's like uh, uh, it's, it's um, a really difficult cash flow mm-hmm. uh, setup. So I, I just see a shift away from insurance until insurance moves more towards, which is the other trend you're seeing is insurance moving towards a cost plus model. Um, so I would happily sign up today to accept insurance if um, the majority of insurance plans operated under cost plus transparent PBM model, uh, which it's definitely um, they're growing. Uh, there's a couple of new Medicare plans um, nationwide, not that cover the nationwide, but throughout like more regional um, that are, have started up and are, are growing uh, that operate under this model. There's a couple of PBMs that are getting some traction that, that operate under this model, but the big three in the world um, today have no plans to, to operate under this model. So until mm-hmm. that happens, I, I can't see myself accepting insurance, but I think that some of those trends are, are kind of reshaping uh, the industry. That being said, there's also the trend of moving towards clinical. My fear is that it's not moving fast enough though, to be honest. Um, uh, and I know that, you know, we have to start doing it in order to, show value and whatnot, but my goal would be patients already seeing the value of it and willingness to pay for it. So um, that's the ultimate goal here at Blueberry Pharmacy. Um, Early on, I'm just trying to help as many people as I can to get word of mouth spread, but I've had success uh, at my past job where I would actually just charge patients a consultation fee Um, and patients didn't question it. I would say, and this is going to take a little bit of research. It's going to, you know, cost twenty dollars for me to answer this question for you. Mm-hmm. And surprisingly, I, I actually the very first time I did it, I got really nervous whenever I said to the <laughs> patient, you know, I'm going to have to charge you out of pocket for for this. You know, as pharmacists, we just tend to give information away for free. Yeah, and there's probably like um, a, it was like a second or two with her acknowledgement, but it seemed like forever, like for her to like acknowledge. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it was more just getting the words out of my mouth that I was, like, <laughs> that I was you know, getting. T- about I was like uh, I forget my very first one, but I, I remember the one that was kind of most uh, impactful to me. Um, it was uh, a, a gentleman that I it had some questions about interactions on his medications and kind of wanted a, a actual full CMR. And I undercharged. I was like, you know, you know, this is going to charge cost you, you know, twenty dollars. <laughs> yeah. You know, for the amount of time it took, it should, I should have charged more. Which his immediate response was, "Oh, I'll happily pay that." And you know, I would pay more if it cost more. <laughs> yeah. I didn't. Then I didn't raise the price on it. But um, just hearing that was very. But I didn't have a single. Whenever I, you know, said 
to a patient, this is, you know, above and beyond a quick question. Mm -hmm. Um, so I need to, you know, spend time on it and to do so that, you know, would, would be X amount. I never had a, a patient actually turn me down, which is kind of, and I didn't do it very often. So I can't say like, you know, if there's going to be success at Blueberry by doing so. But I think it was that relationship that I already had with the patients. These are patients that I had already known that were established. And so they, they knew they could trust me. So that's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm at with Blueberry. I've got to build that, up that trust first. I feel like maybe I don't, but um, uh, I feel like I have to build up that trust. And then once that's there, patients will happily pay because they know they're, they're coming to somebody that knows all about all their medications. Um, I'm actually considering fairly soon uh, and this is already built into the business plan, but charging for the price consultations because um, especially even the ones that I'm able to set somebody up on a medic- uh, manufacturer assistance program, it takes time yeah. uh, to, to review for those plans, to, to fill out the applications, to coordinate with the doctor. Um, and then charging somebody you know, $50 whenever they pay a $47 a month copay, and that's no longer going to be there is a no brainer for the patient. Um, so, uh, that's my goal is to start charging for those. But like I said, I feel like I have to grow that trust and, and, uh, become known as the knowledgeable pharmacist on, on cost in the area before I can you know, safely start charging. But maybe that's just me. It, it might also be, <laughs> you know, it might also be easier to, which I don't know if this is what you do or not, but I'm wondering if I'm, I'm just thinking about if I'm doing that, I'm wondering if you don't even put that charge on until they, you know, are picking up their first prescription, let's say, and just, you know, having mm-hmm. that surcharge there instead of maybe mm-hmm. charging them up front to go through the work to say, like, you know, when this is all completed and you're and successful, this is what you're cu- you'll have like one extra yeah, surcharge yeah. on that first fill um, which right, would account right. for what you just did for them. That's yeah, that's a really good thought. Almost like, you know, we won't know your full cost, but, you know, you're going to save. That's a good point, and say uh, we'll get you your, your full total. Yeah, I mean it's kind of like yeah, that makes sense because it's kind of like how you know car repair works or any services. We don't really know how much it's going to cost, mm-hmm. so we see how much labor goes into it. Yeah, so and then it could even fair, be like a fair point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a fair point so, for sure. Cool, sounds good. all right. Uh, random question that I try to ask all guests um, on here that's completely has nothing to do with pharmacy or healthcare. If you had to take one person out to dinner. Uh, and that person has to be, the rules are they have to be famous and alive and not the current or past presidents. If you have to take one person out to dinner for one night to have a conversation, who would that person be and why? So this would be easy for me because, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, um, my wife hates how much I, I follow this person. Uh, early on, it would have been definitely Elon Musk, but it's actually changed. Uh, I would say that... Uh, the person would be Andrew Yang. Andrew, oh man, uh, that's solid. Hashtag math. <laughs> that is a actually, I probably wear the math pen on my white coat. So. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> man, I saw someone tweet uh, but, that it was like he's the only one left that we had, like people have trust in that can probably even fix the, everything that we're in right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's, if it's not automation, it's a pandemic, and uh, mm-hmm. and they're they're kind of follow the same uh, economic past is a lot of people out of jobs and mm-hmm. this is yep. a very intriguing um almost bipartisan like approach to a lot of issues uh and what i'm referring to is universal basic income so 
uh, huge, huge fan. Uh, and to the point where, you know, I'll read his tweets late at night. My wife's like, oh, you spend more time with Andrew than you spend with me. Uh, but no, yeah. So definitely Andrew Yang. Just also, he's a fun guy. He loves the NBA and, uh, uh, also funny. So yeah. I think it would be fun to have dinner with him for sure. I feel like one of the like larger freaking like just missteps of, I think our recent history was just not doing more for him to be in the forefront of being a candidate mm-hmm. because I mean, he brought UBI really to the forefront of the conversation and look what happened. Like essentially we basically had to do UBI and they're about to do something, mm-hmm. something just like it. Um, and you know, he, he was ahead of the game on that. Uh, and it's just, oh my God, I mean, yeah, I can go on and on about the things that he <laughs> actually to that, to that point there. I, I read a, a very uh, good tweet take on, on the whole, UBI situation I thought was very poignant. Um, the, and in healthcare, we talk about preventative health. And uh, the tweet was, um, so we consider basic income necessary to treat a pandemic, but we won't do it preventatively to to uh, end poverty. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's a, that's a from a healthcare perspective, we're always about preventative. And here here's like the take where, you know, if we use universal basic income. Uh, you know, as reactionary to to events, but yet we're not willing to put it in place uh, preventatively or even try it out. Actually, that'd be nice um, to see if it actually works. Then that's the wrong approach to be taking. We'll end yeah. up spending more overall. You know, interesting uh, point too around Andrew Yang and why he's relevant to pharmacy is he's probably one of the only. Uh, people in a debate that actually said and referenced pharmacists yeah. for something. Like, sure is, like, yeah. I don't even know how long. Like, Unfortunately, I don't even know if I've ever heard a politician yes. on the debate stage. Unfortunately, it was about our, our ability to be automated out. Yeah, but st- but he was saying that like, it, it's, it, we have to address it. You know, it's like we have right, to yeah, yeah. do something about it. And, you know, we, yeah. and it was it was in that point, which I agree, you know, even though, you know, obviously it sucks that it was part of the conversation, but it's true. Like we have to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought that was, you know, really, interesting. yeah. And we're kind of seeing already, I mean, um, uh, a lot of pharmacies are slower during the pandemic hours getting cut hours were getting cut beforehand, but I, I think we'll see more pharmacists get laid off, um, decreased starting salaries, mm-hmm. um, partially related to automation, partially related to, uh, pandemic forces. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I, I, uh, yes, he did mention it and I, I got all excited, Yes. <laughs> every every pharmacist watching that was like, oh my god, he's a pharmacist. <laughs> Thank you. All right, uh, Kyle, this was a, a well. You're welcome to our, our dinner date, our dinner oh, man, get together. Even when I ever get to have dinner with him, you're you're welcome to join us. I that would be, that would be amazing. I really appreciate. That. <laughs> Likewise, I, I appreciate if if you ever get to have dinner with him, if you could, you know, I'm hitting you up, man. I'm definitely you up. <laughs> sounds good. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Uh, Any way that uh, uh, listeners can potentially connect with you after the episode if they'd like to, maybe on social media? Oh, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, However they they want, you know, uh, emails, kyle at blueberryfarmacy.com. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm not the biggest Twitter user other than for for Andrew Yang things, but uh, (laughs) I actually forget what my... um, username is but i'm sure if you search we'll, we'll find that I'll put it in the, pharmacy yeah yeah I'll yeah put in the show notes when we find it um sure uh, I, I think i have to connect with you on twitter as well i'm on there yeah sure yeah certainly 
Cool. All right. So Twitter and then email uh, LinkedIn or are you on LinkedIn at all? I am on LinkedIn. Yeah, okay. I probably check that the least. So email is definitely preferred. Cool. All right. Well, Kyle, thanks again for your time. Really appreciate it. Oh, certainly. Thank you. This is a lot of fun. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode. I'm going to put in the show notes all the uh, ways to connect back with Kyle if you'd like to after the episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Make sure to connect with me or RX Radio on any of your favorite social media platforms. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.